only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Goodbye, University. Welcome, everyone, to our monthly LOA resource report, where we share our favorite resources that are inspiring us as conscious creators. I was wondering, has anyone tuned in to Mike Dooley has been sharing links for someone who channels Frank, Tracy Farquhar, maybe? Has anyone tuned into that? Nope. No one has? Nope. Hmm. I was curious. I was thinking, well, she must be good if Mike's promoting her because he doesn't do that a whole lot. But I also didn't feel any particular nudge to listen myself, so I was wondering if anyone else had his book. So, wow, I had a lot of books on my plate this month. Um, One that wasn't very LOA-oriented, but... I was surprised at how much LOA-friendly material there was in this one, The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. I might cover this first just because I'll go through it really quickly. It's by John Gottman. He's the Love Lab guy. And he shares stuff. It's based on research that he's done, not just his experience, not just the same stuff that you know relationship therapists share. He puts it to the test and he uses statistics to determine what works. So it was kind of interesting, and uh, you, w- you won't be surprised to hear of this, to hear this, but I'm laughing at how I didn't have any inspiration to listen to Frank as as promoted by Mike Dooley. But I, when I was in the bookstore and saw this one, I was all over it. I have no idea why, but I did enjoy it. In one, in principle number two, he's talking about an exercise or to get you in the habit of cherishing your partner. If you're angry, stressed, or feeling distant from your spouse, you may tend to focus on his or her negative characteristics. This leads to distress-maintaining thoughts, which in turn leave you feeling ever more distant and isolated in your marriage. This exercise counteracts that tendency by training you to focus on your partner's positive characteristics, even if you aren't having such a great day together. And that's right up a conscious creator's alley. That like, <laughs> we wouldn't just do that as an occasional exercise when our relationship needed it, but on a regular basis to keep things fabulous over time. Um, In this same principle, he's talking about how, uh, although this exercise might sound silly or hokey, it's based on a wide body of research into the power of rehearsing positive thoughts. This approach is one of the tenets of cognitive therapy, which has proven highly successful in helping people overcome depression. When people fall into a depression, their thinking may become disordered. They see everything in an extremely negative light, which just adds to their sense of hopelessness. But if, over time, they deliberately accustom their mind to a different positive way of thinking, the sense of hopelessness can be lifted. So this exercise, he says, is an experiment in offering the same hope to marriage. What you're really doing is rehearsing a more positive way to think about your partner and your relationship. That was super LOA-friendly. Um, so that was from principle number two, which is nurture your fondness and 
admiration. Principle number one was enhance your love map. It has been long enough since I read this book that I don't remember what a love map is. Sorry. Um, the next thing I have marked, despite what, ooh, he, this is a chapter on the two kinds of marital conflict. He says, despite what many therapists will tell you, you don't have to resolve your major marital conflicts for your marriage to thrive. He studied lots of uh, couples who, they argued, they fought, but it didn't undo their relationship. So he says, they're, they're constantly working it out, for the most part, good-naturedly. I like that, that it isn't that a sign of trouble if you fight fight with your partner you it's not something you wouldn't want to come to the conclusion that you've done something wrong because it can be navigated and he shares some information how uh we develop strategies and routines that help ease these problems oh yeah he says everyone's a little neurotic marriages are successful to the degree that the problems you choose are ones you can cope with and he gives a couple of examples from couples who have, oh, like someone who's super, super, like a clean freak. <laughs> someone knows how to deal with that. Or someone else is super antisocial. <laughs> they could deal with that. But there are some things that mm, you might not choose to deal with. Uh, he had some really great tips for, I thought they were great tips, for how to spot when trouble's coming and how to manage it. He calls these kind, two kinds of marital conflict solvable and perpetual, that's right, how to deal with that. But I really only wanted to share the LOA highlights. Another one, I believe. Um, this is in the chapter on overcoming gridlock. Uh, so less likely, if you follow the rest of the principles, you're less likely to have intractable differences as you come to know and trust each other, you will find that disagreements that once would have overwhelmed you are more easily handled, especially if you make use of the exercises in the chapter. I didn't do any. I didn't even read the exercises mostly. I read that first one. A significant key to preventing gridlock is also to be on the lookout for those small moments where you miss each other's where you miss each other's needs. If either of you is feeling a lot of hurt over seemingly minor slights, you might want to spend some extra time on strengthening your. Oh, it's back to fondness and admiration and practicing turning toward each other. Oh, yeah, he's talking about how we make bids, how to recognize them and not refuse them but accept them. Not acknowledging and talking out these small moments can make a relationship more vulnerable to gridlock over significant issues. That was interesting to me because he's basically saying you want to be able to spot those signs of trouble so that they don't become big trouble. And I thought from an LOA perspective that's interesting because normally we wouldn't go looking for signs of trouble, but... He made a, I thought he made a good case for it, actually. And then I just had one other thing marked. Okay. Uh, oh, this is in the afterword. He's talking about the magic six hours. When we followed up on couples who attended our workshops, we wondered what would distinguish those couples whose marriages continued to improve from those marriages who did not. Would we find that this group had dramatically overhauled their lives? Far from it. To our surprise, we discovered that they were devoting only an extra six hours a week to their marriage. Although each couple had their own style of spending the, these extra six hours, some clear patterns emerged. In general, these couples were giving their marriages a concentrated refresher course in the seven principles. The approach works so phenomenally well that I've come to call it the magic six hours. Here's how you can do it, too. 
And he talks about little things like um, saying goodbye before you leave in the morning, um, a hug and a kiss that lasts at least six seconds, that when they come home, um, find some way every day to communicate genuine affection and appreciation towards your spouse, show each other physical affection when you're together during the day, make sure to always embrace before going to sleep. Even if on occasion your goodnight kiss just lasts for microseconds, secret is a way to let go of any minor irritations that build up over the day. Talks about a weekly date and a state of the union meeting. Select one hour a week to talk about your relationship this week. Keep this time sacred. Begin by talking about what went right. LOA friendly. Then give each other five appreciations you haven't expressed. Also LOA friendly. Try to be specific, he says. And then discuss any issues that have arisen. Oh, but he had guidance in the book about how to do that. Use gentle startup and listen non-defensively. So, yeah, I liked it. And, uh, ooh, this is something called the marital poop detector. Some marriage experts claim that a significant cause of unhappiness in marriage is that husbands and wives have overblown expectations of each other. By lowering these expectations, the argument goes, you become less likely to feel disappointment, but... Some guy somewhere has debunked this idea by studying couples' standards and expectations of each other. He, oh, here's the part I marked. He has found that people with the greatest expectations for their marriage usually wind up with the highest quality marriages. This suggests that by holding your relationship to high standards, you are far more likely to achieve the kind of marriage you want than you are by looking the other way and letting things slide. So he's making the case for high expectations. I liked it. Anyone who's looking for some good tips who hasn't read it before, I think you'd find something good there. Um, I also read The Time Illusion. Do I still have it up? I do. Uh, am I the only one who read that? Or did anyone else check that out? I read it, but I can't really comment. <laughs> <laughs> did you get to the end, Ming? I did, but I don't know. I just, I don't know where my mind was at when I was reading it. Well, there were some parts. It's a super short book, you guys. Super, super short. I don't know because I read it on Kindle, so I don't know how many it's got. How many locations it's got? Five hundred and sixty-four locations, whatever that means. But, um, ooh, the part that I loved. It was near the end. I'm just making sure I'm there. Okay, a client, apparently a very smart client. It is a very smart client. He's very smart. Okay, he read this book, and when he shared this idea for me, I was like, I want to read it from the source. I want to understand what they what he was saying because this is written from a very scientific perspective. And oh, this is not the part. Oh, see how hard it is when you got a Kindle. You can't really tell where in the book you remember. It's about two thirds of the way through. It's on this side of the page. But in a Kindle, who knows? I did, though, do a lot of hunting of the parts that I really, really Okay. Oh, here we are. Oh, okay, cool. I loved this idea so much, and I kind of am interested in your ideas about how we translate it to our conscious creation practice. It's probably more simple than I'm making it, but here's the idea. In spite of some very careful experiments having been carried out to try to catch such quantum processes in action, 
nobody has ever seen an atom or any other quantum system in the act of changing from one state to another. We're talking about how we know these changes happen because we see it this way and we see it that way, but we never see it change if we continually look. We'll only see it change if we stop looking. He, he writes, I don't know the name of the author, the first person to appreciate the significance of this was Alan Turing, best remembered today as the founding father of computing. In 54, he pointed out that a quantum system that is constantly watched, that is, monitored in some way, will never change. This is the ultimate example of the adage, a watched pot never boils. Although originally known as the Turing paradox, it has since become known for obvious reasons as the quantum Zeno effect. And then he, he is quoting Turing in something, and the Based, the part I highlighted, continual observations will prevent motion. Uh, he says it's harder to understand in mathematical terms. He's a physicist, I think. But he said one way of looking at it is to imagine the wave of probability that Schrodinger hated <laughs> spreading out from the starting position of an electron or some more complicated system and gradually increasing the probability of finding the electron somewhere else or the system in a different state. Here's what I highlighted. If you wait a long time, then look, you probably observe a different state. But if you look very quickly, the probability has not had time to change, and the system will still be in the same state. And he talked about doing it in experiments, like, okay, how much time does it need to change? And it turns out it's something like, two, <laughs> it's, it, was, it was pretty interesting stuff, like trying to determine, okay, if you, if you look, if you look every four milliseconds, it's not going to change. It's got to be longer than that. And this guy has a, I thought he had a pretty good way of explaining complicated science in layperson's terms. And I was able to follow much, not all, but much of what he said. Um, so what he's saying is compelling evidence that if you could watch the, the ions continuously, none of them would ever make the transition. The, the sh yeah. Um, so he doesn't talk about what that means for us. He doesn't make that leap. In fact, a lot of scientists who talk write about quantum physics say that, that it isn't their job to write about the practical applications. But they all say that I've read, they all say, look, what we're observing in the micro, in the quantum world does not necessarily apply. In, you can't just directly translate it in the macro world, like the way we create our lives. But I think there's some wisdom there. In fact, it reminds me very much of Abraham's quote or their advice not to take score too soon, that there's something about um, looking away so that things have a chance to shift before we look again. And I think a lot of us conscious creators sometimes sabotage our manifesting practice by not giving it enough of a chance to change before we look again for the change. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he has another, he's talking about, oh, it was a Doctor Who reference. I'm not a Doctor Who person, but I thought you guys might like this. By watching the atoms all the time, it would be possible, oh, he's talking about freeze the lattice. I can't read enough for that to make sense. The analogy with the weeping angels of Doctor Who has been too tempting for many commentators to resist. The angels look like motionless statues as long as you are watching them. They only move when you look away. And then he says, but the quantum world is not quite the same. The message you should take away from these experiments and the theory that underpins them is 
that quantum systems do not move at all. Okay, this is why his book is called The Time Illusion. He's talk, it's, a, it's pretty trippy. I thought Kim Falconer might like this because she's played with this idea in her fiction before. Um, let me see if there's anything else I wanted to share from this. It's a pretty short book, and that that was basically the idea that intrigued me so much that it was true in science as well as in our manifesting practice that looking at it too closely can prevent it from shifting. Uh, something about pigeonholes. Nothing is ever seen moving from one quantum state to another. One state does not change into another. It's like they're just they're isolated events. Uh, it's probably more than you guys want to hear me explain. The very <laughs> it was abrupt ending to his book. I, I highlighted the last two sentences. Myriad quantum states separated by tiny gaps feels to you like a smooth flow of time. Zeno was right. The arrow of time points, but it does not move. The end. <laughs> Ming, did you get there? And were you like, uh... <laughs> I know. That's why I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so but it I, is free. I, it was free, so hey. <laughs> was it free? I thought I'm... Oh, maybe it was. Yeah, um, it was free. I kind of feel like I took one for the team to read all that and and sum up the the gist of it, which is exactly what my client said, which was that, you know, there's something about looking away long enough for your reality to change before you're measuring it again. That's worth remembering. And I think I I think that would be a fun discussion, but I don't gather anyone else is ex- excited about it. As I <laughs> so shall we move on to A Course in Miracles? You did a good, did good sound, explanation. It did sound, that book really sounded like constant focus is a form of attachment. And well, when we sure relax and that, release that attachment... Practice. Yes. Yeah. In our practice, I think that's exactly what's going on, Nancy. Someone who's, they're feeling the need for change, that's why they keep looking at it, because they really want it to be different, and in that, there is attachment, isn't there? Right. Hurry up, hurry up. Where is it? Where is it? Come on, come on. Where is it? Come it's on. Different. And if you're yeah. not happy till it's different, you need to address your happiness level or your unhappiness level first, because, right. and I did this for a long time, I used what I knew about conscious creation, which wasn't very much, as a way to change my reality so that I could be happier. It took me a while to understand that's not how this works. It's get happy now, and then everything changes for the better. Although, I'm not going to say I didn't still get results from it. (laughs) I did, but it's not the highest use of our power. So I I like that, and I, I will say that it will have an impact on not just my own practice, but probably the coaching that I share with others in their manifesting practice. But the book I am most excited about is A Course in Miracles Made Easy by Alan Cohen. I have not finished it, um, but I can tell already it's not one that I want to race through or skip through. These other two I did a lot of, like I skipped I skipped all the exercises in Gottman's book. And um, I, I did skip some of the science in the time illusion, but A Course in Miracles Made Easy, this is going to be what gives me access to a Course in Miracles, because I'm like, they start the book out by talking about, oh, how some people experience the book, which is not easy. I am one of, I, I owned a copy, and, there, and it wasn't cheap. I owned a copy for years, never cracked it, never even took the, took the plastic off of the books before I gave it away. I'm like, if, if you've owned it this long and you haven't even cracked it, it's probably not going to happen. I don't own it anymore, and I had no intention of owning it, but 
when Connie recommended, I believe it was Connie who recommended this. Um, oh, wait, I think she sent me a copy. I didn't just go buy one. I think she sent me one. And I'm so glad she did because this is, it feels powerful to me. Ming, what do you, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. I, I actually read it twice because I read it in the beginning of the month and then I thought I wanted to take notes for the call. But um, cool. I don't know how far you got, but the whole first half, I think is really powerful for, you know, for LOA versus the end of the, you know, the end of it. But I, yeah, it it was great. I have have a bunch of notes to share. I'm not to the end yet, but I can see why I have had so many clients who, when I ask them how they became familiar with law of attraction, they will explain to me, I've been an ACIM student for years. I can see why, I mean, that didn't exactly mean anything to me because I didn't know ACIM, also referred to as the course by some people, but uh, I, I understand now the tremendous overlap, at least I gather from as far as I am. Did you have the same impression, Ming? Yeah, definitely. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. Okay. So I kind of started, I, what I did is I kind of took my favorite just excerpt. I mean, I, I highlighted a bunch of stuff and it would just probably take the whole time to read it all. So what I did is I just took a little bit from each chapter that I thought, either probably I really enjoyed and I figured anybody listening to the call would enjoy too. So from chapter one, it was the only choice that matters. And he he writes, life seems overwhelming when we face an endless stream of perplexing choices. How will I connect with my life partner? Should I stay married or leave? How am I going to pay this month's bills? Is there a job that will bring me passion and income? How do I deal with my annoying relatives? Where on earth is my home? How do I stay healthy? And on and on and on. Yet behind all of these apparent choices, the only real choice is between fear and love. Fear hurts, love heals. All else is detail. The fearful mind spins a web of complexity that makes the hardships of the world seem inescapable. ACIM tells us that life does not have to be hard, and the world that fear has fabricated is entirely escapable. Boil every choice down to what heals versus what hurts. Answer fear with love, and you will find the peace you seek. And then I like um, that part too. Yeah. Yeah, and and the, yeah, feel free to interrupt me. I'll just keep going until you do. Yeah, please do. Um, and then from the second chapter, identity theft. I I like the psychologists tell us that the subconscious cannot distinguish between reality and imagination. The images we impress upon our mind, especially when accompanied by emotion, yield the same experience, whether they are true or fictional. And cause I, I share that a lot when we talk about the brain stuff. Um, third chapter was get real, and he was saying when most people say get real, they mean get small, get limited, get stuck. I am trapped in my little fear-bound world, and your expansive vision is threatening to me, so I demand that you grovel in the mud with me. How dare you rock my tiny world with greater possibilities? The premise is that success and happiness are unattainable illusions. While struggle and suffering are realities we must live with, and misery does love company. The Course in Miracles has another idea. It tells us nothing the world believes is true and asks us to remember I am entitled to miracles. Happiness, well-being, and success are your birthright and your destiny. All else is a trick of the mind. So the next time someone tells you get real, take their advice as the highest compliment. Thank the speaker for reminding you to be who you are and you do. You are here to do what you do. Your purpose on earth goes far beyond satisfying critics or proving yourself according to standards others set for you. Your purpose is to recognize the greatness within you and deliver it. The Chinese philosopher Chuang Tzu said, the sage dwells among those things that can never be lost, and so he lives forever. 
Show the world what is real by establishing yourself in vision, not division. Invite naysayers to meet you on higher ground. They need your reality far more than you need theirs. Um, Bing, from chapter, I, yeah. I got a question for you. Have Have you ever read the original ACIM? No, I'm like you. I has anyone heard, here? Everybody has told me to do it, and I've never, I never did it. I but I don't know exactly why. In the book, in this book, he says. Some people, it reminds them too much of the Bible because of the thin pages and, you know, like the right. markers, like how you locate stuff. Um, but I don't, I, I don't know why it didn't, I don't know why. Did, but I, so I can't say, but it seems to me that Cohen is doing a good job of translating it. Like, yes, in language that's, not that it's written in archaic language, because I don't think it is. On the parts that he's quoting, it seems like it's readable enough, like it wouldn't be that hard to get through, you know, like the real Bible, but uh, for some reason, yeah, just there was never a time when I felt... Did, has anyone here yeah. read A Course in Miracles? I haven't read the book, but I have gone to the website to listen to the, where they, it's every day they'll read a passage from the book, because it's written in 365 um, lessons, mm-hmm. so it's a lesson a day. You know, and, you know, the very first one is nothing is real. Everything is an illusion. And and if you get beyond that, it as they step you through stuff, it just gets you, it makes your mind like swirl. <laughs> like you're like, what? <laughs> and that's why I thought years ago. I sought out a, um, well, I didn't actually seek her out. I was searching something else on YouTube, and I saw this, uh, there was a, a post of a woman talking about um, uh, focus in A Course of Miracles. And I thought, well, this is interesting. So then I clicked on it, and I listened to her, and it was so clear what she was saying. It made so much sense, and it was so fully aligned with law of attraction, she was saying, if you're busy looking at what you don't like, you're never able to shift your attention to what you do like. And so she was really talking very much about LOA principles, but from an ACIM point of view. And then I started um, watching more and more of her videos. I've shared her money videos, which are amazing on GVU, and people who've watched it have liked it but you know not everybody will take the time to watch it but yeah I think it's really good when you can find somebody who can translate it for you Um, and I certainly enjoy it a lot more now because of this woman uh, Robin Duncan the way she translates she's also an EFT practitioner and a hypnotherapist and she teaches I you know ACIM so she does it all and yeah so I can't believe that I didn't such read a well-known it. manual that you haven't read, Nancy. That why? Well, no, no, no. What? No, no. The thing is, is that even trying to read the snippets and following uh, along with the voice that reads it, it's yeah. like, uh. <laughs> yeah. But I'm really glad to have her, her as a as a resource. Yeah, I um, I I'm appreciating Alan for clear he has big love for this material like it's not he's not just a guy who saw, saw an opportunity to translate it. it he it's made an impact on his life and he wanted to make it more accessible to others so 
Um, definitely. Um, Ming, let's hear some more of your notes, more of your takeaways okay. from it. Um, let me see here. Uh, from the chapter, um, Sin That Had No Effect, he says, you have, you have had billions of moments of experiences. The moments you give your attention to are the ones that generate your current experience. When you focus on painful memories, you create a painful past and drag it into the present. When you focus on joyful memories, you create a joyful past and experience peace in the present moment. I really like that statement. Um, you have also learned how good it feels when punishment is over. The contrast between pain and relief from pain can be exhilarating. This is the payoff between makeup sex. You don't need pain to enjoy feeling good, and you don't need to fight first to enjoy sex. If you keep hitting your head with a hammer, it feels good, but when you stop, you could have felt good without the hammer beating. Contrast is a helpful teacher, but after a point, it becomes a vicious taskmaster. There are easier ways to learn. Inner peace is your strongest platform to create global transformation. Gandhi, Martin Luther King, and Mother Teresa never made evil their enemy. They didn't fight people. Instead, they made a stand for kindness and equality and subsequently advanced society in ways that angry people could never achieve. For them, peace was not simply the goal. Peace was the road to all worthy goals. Um, and from Chapter 6, I like this part. But they cannot remove your peace until you give them that power. Your wellness is God's factory-installed gift to you, your inalienable birthright. Great managers, leaders, sports heroes, and award winners attribute their accomplishments to their friends, colleagues, teammates, family, staff, and God. World Series winners talk about what a great team they are honored to play with. Academy Award recipients read long lists of names of those who have empowered them to shine. People who have been healed, thank God. Business leaders send notes of gratitude to coworkers who put their project over the top. Wise politicians honor their constituents. When Barack Obama was elected to his second term, he sent out a tweet to millions of followers. This happened because of you. Thank you. I like that. Um, there's a whole, yeah, there's chapters on the healing. I don't know if you've gotten there, but there's a lot of really, really good stuff on just physical healing, but I, I picked one paragraph to share. If you need healing, go confidently to the object of your faith. See a coach, doctor, priest, shaman, massage therapist, Reiki master, or friend you trust. If nature brings you peace, retreat to the forest. Stretch in your yoga class. Commit to the diet that makes you feel the best. It matters not if anyone else understands you, agrees with you, or joins you. What matters is that you act in alignment with your beliefs. Since most of us don't have perfect faith in spirit alone, we may need to resort to more mechanical means of healing. Jesus used the belief systems of his patients to stimulate their transformation. He rubbed mud on a blind man's eyes and followed and told him to rinse it off and he would be healed. The man did and he regained his sight. But Jesus knew there was no magical power in the mud. But the man's belief required an object through which healing could transpire. That's good. Um, that makes sense, too. Right? I mean, he goes on and on about the healing, the physical healing, which, which I really, really enjoyed, actually, if anybody has to read about the physical healing part. Um, two more things. Joy is the result of choosing joy. You cannot get apples from orange seeds, and you cannot get peace from strife. Belief in hard makes the world hard. Transfer your allegiance to ease, and the world becomes far lighter. Right? There's our easy world. Um, well-being is not an achievement you earn. It is your birthright. Remove from your mind the belief that there is something you must do before you can be happy. Safety, vitality, sustenance, and soul fulfillment are yours by virtue of your identity as your progeny of God. Love is where you become. Love is where you are because love is what you are. Your blessings proceed from heaven without interruption. 
and one line, Jeanette, you'll get you'll like in chapter 21. He's talking about um, animals. And this one sentence was funny. I thought of us. Personally, I would never trust any heaven that would not take my dog. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Yeah. Very cool. Um, Shanna in chat room says, uh, it's $1.99 on Kindle. Guest 5 says, it's also $1.99 for Nook. Um, Yeah, this one feels like uh, I'll, I'll, it's worth taking my time with. That's how I feel about that book. What else were we going to review today? Ming, we're, it felt like there were three or four books that I had at my fingertips lately. Yeah, I think you had like four books on there. <laughs> oh, The Art of Uncertainty and The Art of Procrastination. Huh. Uh, well, I have both of those books handy. They are available. If anyone wants them from the GVU library, I've offered to mail them to whoever wants to pick up a copy. However, I, I don't, I don't, they, they've, I'm not. Uh, Didn't you tell me not to, I did. not to read it? <laughs> <laughs> I the I Art of Procrastination, <laughs> it was more entertaining than, than anything, uh, it it was a it was they both feel kind of fluffy to me um i like the idea of it more than i did the book the books themselves not that they weren't pleasant and enjoyable and deliver exactly what they said they would but i don't think i i don't think i don't know if anyone really had a trouble with feeling like shame or guilt around not being productive enough or being lazy or Inefficient, maybe you'd benefit from a read of The Art of Procrastination. It's a very small book by John Perry, and he just basically shares his experience of of how he's willing to procrastinate and how he accomplishes it. He's got some tongue-in-cheek tips. On The Art of Uncertainty, it's the subtitle, How to Live in the Mystery of Life and Love It. This is by Dennis Merritt Jones, who also wrote The Art of Being. Basically, the the whole book, and it is a small one as well, he's saying, making a case for don't feel like you need to know. There's a lot of benefit to not knowing, and I just like the reinforcement of that idea, but I wouldn't necessarily tell everyone they should be reading this, either of those, although I did enjoy them. If anyone wants a copy, post in the GVU library thread, and uh, Kim will give me an alert to send it out to you. Anyone else been reading anything good lately or seeing anything? Yeah. I I read What's in the Way is the Way, a practical oh. guide for waking up to life by Mary O'Malley. I shared a little bit in the um the book review. Um Fred. Fred? I was going to say yeah. I recently run across this. I didn't realize it was from your post. Okay, let's hear. Yeah. Uh, put it. I'll put the link in chat so everybody has a link to it. Um, so I was listening to. We had a guest um, speaker at my local Unity, and she referenced this book and she gave a quote from the book about fear. And I thought to myself, I just the minute I heard her share the quote, I was like, I need to find out what that book is. I need to, you know, check it out. So um, I checked my local library, and my library had it as a hoopla book. Has anyone 
read from Hoopla before or used Hoopla? Hoopla? I don't know what it is. Well, apparently, apparently it's a delivery system, but um, and they're hooking up with libraries so they can deliver everything from full, you know, full movies, um, audio books, um, television series, um, regular books, ebooks, the whole bit. And um, so this particular um, and and when, all I did was I signed up for a free account with my um, and I had to choose my library and the account was free and I get to take or borrow six titles a month you know through Hoopla so um, so yeah I went ahead and I and I got it and um, the book the foreword it's so interesting on Amazon it says it was written by Mary O'Malley at L E T A L which usually means and others but really, it's just Neil Donald Walsh wrote the foreword. That's it. Oh. The rest of the book was written. The rest of the book was written by Mary. And what I found out later, after I was like two thirds of the way through the book, um, there was an interview with um, Mary that was on YouTube, and she was talking. And the interviewer said, "Hey, I want to talk about your connection to Eckhart Tolle." And she said, "Oh yeah, so Mary's up in um, the Kirkland, Washington area." And she knew she knew Eckhart long before he was famous, and she used to invite him down from Vancouver to come give talks in her local area, and she helped kind of promote him in her local area before he was even a published author. So I thought that was interesting. Um, she herself is a an, uh, speaker, author, and um, uh, she has a private. Um, psychology practice up in Washington and um, the book really is about um, fear and dealing with fear and I think this book is ideally it's ideal for coaches to read about how they can help their clients kind of work through fear issues um, but I would also recommend it for the advanced um, the person who's been on the self-help track for a while and is willing to do the work because she takes you step by step through the processes. And I, it's so interesting. She'll she'll explain a little bit, maybe share a story, and then she has you stop and kind of close your eyes and go through a process with her. And the first process that um, that I followed, she was having us go back to you know a, a difficult experience in our childhood, and. Halfway through it, she was like, okay, stop. Are you breathing? Are you, you know, is there tightness in your body? And I was just reliving this experience from my childhood, and I had stopped breathing. <laughs> I was, like, holding my breath, and I had tightness all over my body. And I kind of laughed. I appreciated that she stopped the exercise to say, hey, are you breathing? Are you okay? You know, and um, she she has some analogies that I thought were kind of interesting. Like um, she refers to our um, our gremlin or our monkey mind as the storyteller. And she, she says that we all have this inner meadow of peace within us that's naturally there and always available to us. But so often we get caught up in the stories from our storyteller to the point where we don't even realize we have an option to be at peace. And so um, she, her attitude is really to 
to look at the fear. She says, as soon as you give it your attention, it begins to dissolve. So she she also brings in quantum physics, not in heavy scientific detail, but in kind of broad strokes. She brings in um, quantum physics, Buddhism, um, psychology, and um, it, a couple of times she'll make she's made comments that seem like they're anti LOA comments, and yet in the next paragraph she'll say something that is really for the deliberate creator. <laughs> you know, so I think when you read the, the parts where she says, you know, stop trying to create your life and just, you know, be and be open to life. Um, and I think that, you know, if you don't give it a chance, you might take it the wrong way. You might mm-hmm. miss, um, it's good you know, the point that, that she's... Like see, yeah, a lot of people here would respond that way. Yeah, and like there's... Um, and then she talks about the the way, what's in the way is the way. In other words, so whatever your crisis is, if you've got constant money problems, if you've got constant relationship problems, if you've got constant health problems, that's your way to enlightenment. That's your way to work through and, and get past the fear and, and awaken. Um, she says, whatever your storyteller does to attempt to get rid of the fear only causes more fear. So the way out of fear is to get to know it through your heart. It is possible to become honest enough with yourself to be able to start looking at what goes on inside of you. And in that looking, you become free. As soon as you become aware of the stories of fear you crawled into, you can begin to see through them and return to the meadow of well-being within you. And, um, you know, and so there was also a lot of pure awareness in here. She talks about meditation and being present and being, you know, um, just being and um, feeling the fear and not judging it, not trying to fix it, just being with it, and that just giving it our presence, it begins to dissolve in and of itself. So I thought it was a really great book. Um, I highly recommend it for coaches in particular, um, because I think it will not only help the coach, but also uh, working with clients who are really stuck, deeply stuck in fear. And I think it can help the advanced um, um person on a path, someone who's been on a path for a while and is willing to do the personal work um, to grow and move forward. So thumbs up from you yeah. on that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. thought it was really good. What else have you been reading that you liked? Um, I saw a bunch of movies. So that was fun. I saw um, The Dressmaker. Ming, were you saying that you had seen that one? The dress I did. That, I love yeah. that movie. <laughs> I did too. I Where did you guys see it? I haven't even heard of humor. it. Humor. <laughs> well, oh, I saw it, it on. A, um, yeah, yeah. Well, Ming, you saw it in the theater, right? No, no, no. I saw it at oh. home. Um, oh, okay. I I don't know where I got it on Amazon or something. Um, I yeah, saw it through Hoopla. Yeah. I saw it through Hoopla, and um, it's a dark comedy, and yet it was really laugh-out-loud funny. 
Jeanette would like it. <laughs> <laughs> like things, things that you think I shouldn't be laughing at this, but oh my god, that's hilarious, you know? Yeah. <laughs> what's the premise? Like, what's the, give us um, a, a, a woman, a woman comes back to uh, middle of nowhere Australia, her hometown, um, and she has been gone away. And while she's gone away, she's become a couture dressmaker, and um, she comes back to kind of help her mother and there's a bunch of things that go on but you you really find out about the dysfunction of a small town and the dysfunction of you know her growing up and she kind of comes back to settle the score <laughs> which in the end she really did but um but yeah it's cool. it's a dark comedy it's a dark I, it com- and i don't like, like it might be on netflix so i might be able to catch it there i'm gonna check it yeah out. i don't like all dark comedies but i gotta say this one i actually kind of I, it, it was it was kind of fun. It had um, Kate Winslet in the um, yeah. title role. She was great. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Just, was just to see her dresses was just. I mean, it's worth oh, watching the movie in itself. They, right. <laughs> and 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 people who would come in very frumpy, and they after she'd make a dress for them, they'd look like you know movie stars. So. Right yeah. on. In this, in this tiny little tiny tiny town. <laughs> There's maybe what twenty people in the town total. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, it's tiny. I, I think you'll enjoy it, Jeanette. That's All it's right. uh, it's it's interesting. Um, I also saw Sully on. Um, so Sully is about um the pilot that landed in the Hudson. Um, How was that? That one, it, well, it was a really good movie, but that one was actually on HBO, I saw. But um, it, so I don't know if you guys remember, I remember being on Twitter in, I think it was 2009. I was on Twitter, and all of a sudden scrolling by is this picture of a plane in the middle of of a river, and I'm thinking, that's got to be Photoshopped, because it just doesn't even look real and they were like no this is like a miracle this guy landed uh you know u.s airways plane in the middle of the hudson river and um and what was really interesting about the movie from an loa standpoint of view is that here's this guy who's the captain he's extremely qualified he's been flying planes for 40 years he knows what he's doing he's actually an aeronautical consultant on the side he he just knows what he's doing, and he and we also gets add, the, didn't, didn't he also like practice for these? Maybe all pilots do, but it seemed like uh, they he was practiced for something like this. I could be wrong about that. Well, what? So they didn't talk about it in the movie, but I remember it from the the news stories that he was also a glider, and he had used gliding his gliding skills to actually land a plane in the water, but they didn't talk about that in the movie. The movie was focused on what happened after the crash, but but when they were doing the reenactment of it, I don't know whether this he really did this or this was something that the movie makers added. As he took off in the air, he's looking around, he stops and he's captivated by the the river. And he says, what a beautiful view of the river. And that was moments before there was a bird strike that took out both engines in the plane. And they had 
like 208 seconds, I think, to figure out how to save that plane because they were only at 2,500 feet, which is not very high. And um, so, yeah, so they landed. There were some minor injuries, but basically everybody lived, which is, you know, <laughs> is amazing. The movie itself was about, you know, the NTSB's um, um, research and, you know, all the the computer model showed that he sh he should have been able to turn back immediately and get back to LaGuardia. Um, but by the time they did all their system checks and determined that there was no way to get the engines moving back again, to to this pilot, the most logical solution was to land in the river. That was he saw that as the best bet, and of course the computer model didn't even factor that in. The computer model was saying, "Well, you should have immediately turned back and gone back to LaGuardia." So I was, I, I was going to say, didn't he take some heat? Didn't some people say you could have, you had other options that would have been more safe or something? Yes, yeah. it seemed like yeah. he was criticized it, for his decision. He was, he was, and at the end of, um, at the end of. The movie, he basically said, you know, your computer models are great, but they completely take out the human element. And these people who are in the computer models, they knew there was a bird strike coming, and they knew they were prepared to respond to it. We didn't know. We we And we didn't expect both engines to go out. And because that had been, well, they said, if, if that's the case, it would be unprecedented. And he said, of course, anything that hasn't happened before is unprecedented, right, until it happens. Um, but anyway, it was a good movie. And uh, and and it was interesting to see uh, the mindset of of the captain and his um, co-pilot. Um, I think it played... A, a strong role in why that plane was able to land um and everyone was was safe so so that yeah that was good anybody else got good books to share yeah let's talk about what we're going to read next month <laughs> anyone have any suggestions tom have you been reading anything good um, well, I'm reading You Are the Universe. I'm a little behind you guys. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's Tell really me what weird. you think. So are you able oh, I, to follow? I really like it. You I really, really like it. it. I'm, in the, of course. I'm in the last part where he really makes the case for our human universe, the conscious, oh. you know. And so that's really exciting. But the stuff I'm really getting the most out of, which I read as much as I can, is the um, blogs from the Expect Wonderful site of hmm. Aliyah Mira. Oh, um, yeah. Because she she has years worth of blogs there, and they're all channeled by the Council of Radiant Light, Archangel Michael, and um, they are just life changing every one of them. And so I I read them over and over, <laughs> and um, and as which is what they suggest you do is that you read them a lot because you you know they're saying you need to change your entire perspective on who you are and what you're doing here because that's where we're at right now um, on the face of the earth is that we're at the time of complete, utter transformation of everything we've ever known. And so to let go of all of our limiting beliefs, we need to own so fully that we're these divine beings and, you know, to get out of all these other limitations. So it's the best stuff for me to read because it just gets me into that place I want to be where I feel so free to let go of my 
of my limiting beliefs and to really see them for what they are, you know. I I see her. She is her posts are always on my Facebook feed, but I don't actually know her URL. Do you know it off the top of your head, Tom? I bet you do. Well, if you just Google "expect wonderful," okay, uh, you'll get her. And then and then you know www.expectwonderful, and then just go to the blogs, and then she has a link for the archive of blogs, and there you can get them going back years. And um, I'm just slowly going through them one at a time. And every once in a while, I'll print one out, and I'll have it with me if I'm out and about. And I'm going to have a little time on my hands. I'll read it over again. and uh, Or I'm going up to sit in the mountains. I'll take a few of those with me. And they they just put me into a space of, um, you know, that infinite <laughs> sense of who I really am. Very nice. I really, I really dig it, yeah. Well, thanks for that tip. I am going to mm-hmm. open a tab right now to remind myself to check it out. And don't you think you are the universe and ACIM teachings are really similar? They're kind of both pointing to the illusion of that self-created. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's all the same. I used to study Course in Miracles. I studied it one time for six months, another time for six months. That's about all I could take each time. I was doing it each time with a partner, once with a woman that I was living with and another with one of my best friends. and. So that kept me going, and it made me go out and buy the book the second time. But eventually, I put it in the category that Abraham seems to put a lot of um, older channeled things, which is that it's old news. And I guess because of the way it's written, it's just too its too much effort for me to struggle with it. I mean, I can relate to things like Alan Cohen's book because thats uh, he's putting it into LOA terms and maybe just taking the archaicness out of the way it's written but um i just couldn't stick with it it was just always just beyond the language that i could take i just Mm. couldn't take it Mm. but it's good stuff cool thanks for sharing tom yes how about you what are you reading uh yeah thanks for the question yeah um i just finished reading last it was a couple of days ago um, it's an e-book called Personal Power or Your Master Self by W.W. W. Atkinson and Edward E. Beals. Um, I bought uh, it's, I bought the bought it from Learning Sales Corporation, um, and I bought the whole volume, the twelve volume of those pers- what they call the Personal Power e-books. The very first one, Personal Power, is about um, how you start. Where do you start to to um, achieve your goals if you want to achieve your goals? In a sense, so how to, in other words, it's basically the first one's not basic how to achieve your goals. I haven't read the rest of them yet, the other two, the other eleven e-books, but um, as I said, I've just read the um, read the first one, but uh, it's quite interesting. Hmm. Well, yeah, you usually have something good to share. It seems like you've always got your fingers on something new and inspiring. So thanks for that tip. No problem. Brenda in chat room. Shanna, how about you? Have you been reading anything or found any workshops? Oh, I was going to mention oh the manifest the Art of Manifesting Summit. Cindy and I both participated in it uh, along with a lot of other LOA folks. I don't know the URL. I put I posted it in the forum today when someone asked what the um where Carrie asked where to track it down. She has had she has offered all the recordings for free download. 
a couple of times since the series ended. She is in my inbox. She is going to do that again. She asked me to let her know when I could mention it in my newsletter, and she would do it then um, because she got a lot of response when uh, when my audience saw it, So, which I'm not surprised to hear. I watched, your, I watched your one, Jeanette, that you did. What, what's that? On the, on the uh, Manifesting uh, Summit that you, you did with, uh, I'll come with her name, actually. Atkinson, Kim, is it? Kimberly Atkinson, yeah. Atkinson, yeah, I, that's it, yeah. I liked it, actually. It was quite funny. I, my... I don't even remember what we talked about. I've had gotten a couple of emails from people saying thank you, and new people saying thank yeah. you. It was really good. I literally cannot even remember what we talked about. But my, we my did friend, it a long time ago. She just published yeah. it now, but we recorded it a while ago. My, my favorite part was about the homeless guy. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, the reason the reason why I said the reason why I said that is because it's quite it's quite interesting because um, I, I, I tell everyone um she was saying um, what Jeanette was saying when she was in corporate world and she was waiting at the bus stop and you know at the time she was unhappy in her job, unhappy in her marriage. She basically was at the time having an unhappy life at the time. Yep. And um, this homeless guy, even though he was homeless, he was really happy. He said to Jeanette, "You know, you, he said to he said to Jeanette, says, you know what? You could really sing. I think you could really sing. You wrote this, come with me, and we can go on a road trip together.' And but you, you declined him, didn't you? I, I remember you say, <laughs> "I can't sing." <laughs> yeah, I know. You declined. You declined. I remember you declined. You said you declined him. <laughs> I did, and and on the bus home, I thought, "What do you mean I can't sing?" How is my answer to the homeless guy's invitation to travel the country homeless not I don't want to be homeless, I have a job, I have a I have a husband, I have a life. No, my answer was I can't sing. I thought what would have happened if I could sing? <laughs> oh, and he said to me, you I said that to him and he said, as my bus is driving off, he hollers, You'll play the tambourine. Meet me back here tomorrow <laughs> at five. I remember that bit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and my dad gave me a tambourine years later for my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, boy, that feels like a lifetime ago, an absolute lifetime ago. That was a wake-up call, though, but boy, you were doing something really wrong if the idea yeah. of leaving your entire life before behind sounds good if only you could sing so um shanna did you have anything good for us um i have been um reading the uh, abe sarah's book because i got them for my daughter but she's not interested currently so i started reading them <laughs> yay and i love them um but unfortunately, I, I have a, a certification test coming up in a couple of weeks that now has uh, to have most of my free reading time. Gotcha. But you're a thumbs up on the Sarah books. As oh, well. absolutely. Um, Nancy, I read the first one. There's three of them. I read the first one in about like over a weekend. I'd say maybe four hours total. Um, and now sometimes I actually use them like as kind of my centering getting grounded time like even just five minutes worth of it <laughs> because it's just it's written so simply so easy so i mean i can spend five minutes read something and figure out okay can i apply that today no not right now but yesterday i really could have used that <laughs> 
Uh, Nancy's asking, how long are those Sarah books? Yeah, they're not very long. I mean, they're. Um, I would. I would. Um, I would say it would probably take my daughter ten hours to finish one. Um, they're certainly shorter than Laura Ingalls Wilder books. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you're right, Nancy. It does it reminds you of who you are? <clears throat> um, but even more so, it reminds me of who I want to be. I want to have that mm-hmm. child innocence of, you know, exploration and excitement and belief in things like being able to fly. I can't remember if I read all of them or just the, one of the first ones, but I remember getting the same sense from it, Shanna, when I was tuned in, which was a while ago. I didn't hang on to my copy. But, yeah, I it, I guess it shouldn't surprise me. I also got tremendous inspiration from Pollyanna, another children's book. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree, Nancy. She says, the world was so magical when I was younger. I like tapping into that. Anything is possible. Your story. Anyone else got anything good for us to share? Any good tips on what to avoid? <laughs> Uh, I watched The Keepers. Holy crap. Don't do it. Don't do it? Don't do it. It it was just all kinds of disturbing. It was just disturbing. I mean, not, no, it wasn't all kinds of, it was a lot of disturbing, but there was also a lot of courage, a lot of bravery. It inspired a lot of compassion, good Lord, but boy, for me, the overriding vibration was wrong. Like how wrong it was. It it would be a good. I'll tell you what it would be. A good exercise in practicing releasing judgment, which I did not pass. <laughs> I did not pass that test of not judging. It was disturbing. Um, but I don't want to end on that note. So let's talk about something fabulous. I just got my first GVU Lending Library book from Australia yesterday. Oh, what are you? What is it? Um, Kim sent me the Spell of Rosette. Oh, one of my favorites. I know. I'm sad that I now have to wait two weeks to be able to start reading it, though. Jenna, so. I'm going to tell yeah. you something. You might want to take your time on that one. I actually, or have the next one in hand. I actually experienced, because I was reading them before the next one was published, the trilogy didn't come out all at once, so Uh I would finish one and then have to wait for the next one, and I experienced mild depression over withdrawal from experiencing that world that she had created. Oh, good to know. Yeah. Because I I get that with a couple authors. It's like, wait, but these are my friends. I know. I know. So they talk about the show hole when you're watching binge watching Netflix, you know, uh, series, and you get to the end of the series and there's no more, and you just get depressed because there's yeah. that. So you've got a book hole. Yeah, <laughs> I experienced it. Reaching the end of a book. Well, it was so fun to find something that was LOA. It was astrology. And it was, I mean, there were just so many amazing things about it that, yeah, for that world to end, I, I was I was kind of mad at Kim about that. I was like, you should have prepared me for this, or that other one should be ready by now. 
You probably yeah. won't have that, Shanna, because the other ones are already printed. But take into a time mailing time. <laughs> or take into account mailing time. Yeah, that was Is there a way to get those books? Um, so library. I have I have GVUs now, and as soon as I'm done reading it, I'll be uh, I'll be the keeper of it until the next person wants it. So basically, you once you borrow one of the books. Kim um, asks you to keep it until somebody else wants it, and then you then you pass it on. Um, but I think the I think the other two in that series are actually available in the U.S., but the first one is not. Oh. So, hmm, which is interesting. Yeah, that yeah that was my question was can you buy them in the stores oh, oh. now here in the U.S. Yeah, no, or at least not the first one. Yeah. Not the first one. Yeah. Well, what's the point of that if it's a trilogy? <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah. I went to a new bookstore. You guys, then I went to a, a local book. It was an independent. I was kind of excited about it, and you know what? They had like the second or the third book, highly recommended. Uh, they had rave reviews, and they wouldn't have the first one. I was like, "You've got to be joking me!" They, I went home and ordered from Amazon because I was so frustrated about that. I'm walking over to my stack of books to see if I've got anything here that might make a good selection for next month. Um, I've got one by, I don't know, Sion Baylock, Sean Baylock probably, How the Body Knows Its Mind. I don't know much about that other than that I was a yes when I held it. I still haven't finished Yvonne Oswald's Every Word Has Power. Oh, Cryons. The Gaia effect. Mm, my dad, yeah. I don't know if that's his copy or if he got me a copy. So probably some of those. But if I get an excuse to go visit a bookstore again soon, I may have a whole new stack. I try to not buy new books until I've gotten through the old stack. But that hasn't kept me from doing it before. I'm also, there's also one here at the top of my pile. <laughs> Action, a book about sex by Amy Rose Beagle. I know. (laughs) I don't know what this one is, but I I remember flipping through it, and I read something that made me laugh, and so I came home with it. (laughs) Um, Anyone else have anything that they're getting ready to read that might be good for us to join you in for our next LOA resource report? Guillaume just shared something in chat. Oh, what is it? I stepped away from the computer. Say I ordered some God. books. Sorry. Oh, what, I what was, was it that I, I, he wrote? I've ordered some books from Amazon. There's one I'm really looking forward to is Chariots of the Gods by Yvonne Daniken. Wow. I that's a classic. I, I've read it. Did you say it's a classic? Yeah, it is a classic. Yeah, Chariots of the Gods. Oh. I've got goose. I've got goosebumps at thinking at that about that book. Yeah, I re- of course I like that book. Of course, I like that book. Alien. It was like right? written that's in the the, 1970s, wasn't it? Yeah, that's the book on yeah. aliens, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. He's written so many books on on aliens, and uh, I'll definitely order more of his books when I get the chance. I've got in my Amazon cart. I know I've got a couple of books waiting in there for my next order. See? 
So the optimism bias. Okay, I've not ordered these, but someone recommended them, so they're sitting in my book for me to consider. The optimism bias, a tour of the irrationally positive brain by Tali Shiro. And Napoleon Hill, Outwitting the Devil, The Secret to Freedom and Success. <laughs> okay, I just like the title of this book. I think I should own it. Same for owning You Are a Badass. This one's called You Are Doing a Freaking Great Job and Other Reminders <laughs> of Your Awesomeness. <laughs> I think everyone should have that. And mm, there's one, Emotional Agility. Fail, fail again, fail better. Wise advice for leaning into the unknown by, how do you say her name, Pima Chodron? How do you guys say that? Yeah. I think it's Pima Chodron. Okay. I think you had it. Ooh. There was one, results, think less, achieve more. But I already read one by Dan, I forget his last name, Ariely or something that, was, that seemed really similar. Here's another one. Your inner critic is a big jerk and other truths about being creative by Danielle Kreisa. Uh, I, don't, I don't suspect those are probably going to make it into my reading pile anytime soon, but here's another one. The science of happily ever after, what really matters in the quest for enduring love. Um, all right, so we'll just have next month be a surprise, but if you guys find something good, let us – ooh, I forgot I had a 2 o'clock call. Hello. Uh, uh, I guess I better hang up. Um, yeah, post in the forum so we can maybe read it along with you and share thoughts on next month's call. Thanks, everyone, for sharing what you've been up to and contributing to our conversation today, and we'll see you on our next call. Bye, everyone. Okay, thanks. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Thanks. Take care, everyone.